Good morning. Um, Ali and I are pleased to announce that we're not having any kids. <laughs> We've done our bit. <laughs> but we have got some grandchildren coming. And with regards to the uh, music team, I keep offering to bring my banjo along, but they keep, you know, spitting. <laughs> no, no, no. Doesn't fit in. Good morning. It's lovely to see you here this morning. Sunday morning's a great time when God's people come together, when this family comes together and we open up the Word of God. Now, for the last few weeks, for those who don't fully know what we've been doing, there's a book in the, in the New Testament called Galatians and it was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people who lived in what we today would call Turkey. Let me, uh, what do I do? Do I press something? There it is. How about that? So if you can visualize the Mediterranean, the eastern end of the Mediterranean, that uh, big country on the right is uh, Turkey, modern day Turkey. And the region that these people lived in was called Galatia. So Paul had done a missionary journey through that area and many many people had given their lives to Jesus they'd committed their lives to him some of them we don't know how many many of them really I would say were Jews who knew the Old Testament and who knew about the sacrifices of a lamb and Paul through his revelation told them that that lamb that you've been waiting for was Jesus Christ. But others who came in on Paul's message would have been what they called, and the Bible calls, Gentiles. They were people who, were, who didn't have a Jewish background and didn't have a Jewish heritage and didn't grow up as Jews. Now the problem came... And this is what the letter we've been studying addresses. The problem came when some people in the church started saying, say to the, those Gentile believers who had become believers, you've got to get circumcised, which was a Jewish ritual. And others said, you've got to obey certain laws. And you need to do certain things. And you need to uh, respect certain days for your salvation to be solid and to be complete. So Paul got to hear about this. And he wrote to them saying, hang on. He said, when I was there, I preached you to you a message of grace alone. Faith alone. All you have to do is repent and put your trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. And those people accepted it. And then others came along and said, no, that's not enough. You've got to do more. And so Paul was writing to them to try and correct that. He preached a gospel of grace, God's favor, faith alone coupled with repentance 
and salvation comes to your house. So what he found was that these people who understood it and got it and loved it now started to drift back to works and the law. And Paul said, no, 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 you've, you've moved on from there. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Please open your Bibles to Galatians and just follow with me. I want to show you some of the things that these people were dropping on them that Paul didn't want dropped on them. Galatians, page 1309. <laughs> so if you look at uh, maybe Galatians uh, chapter 6, first off, our reading will be from Galatians 4, but I just want to give you a, a 6 and verse 15. After he makes all of his argument about why they should just live with grace and faith, he, he, he begins to conclude, or he concludes, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything. What really matters is a new creation. So, the Judaizers were saying, new believers have got to be circumcised. And Paul's saying, no, circumcised or uncircumcised doesn't mean a thing to God. What really matters is faith, a new creation. Second uh, illustration of how the people were trying to drag them back comes from chapter 2 of Galatians, and verse 12. For before certain men came from James, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So what that means is, at one stage, Peter was happy to eat with these newly minted Christians. They were Gentiles. They didn't know all the rules and regulations, but they'd given their lives to Jesus. And Peter was happy to eat with them. But then after a while, uh, people started talking. And these Judaizers came in and he said, oh, gee, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. So he withdrew from eating with these new Christians. And because the rules and regulations that he grew up with said you shouldn't be doing that. The third illustration of these rules and regulations is chapter 4 and verse 10, where Paul writes, You observe days and months and seasons and years I am afraid for you lest I have laboured for you in vain. So what was happening was these people who started the journey with faith are now being seduced back into the works and the heaviness of the law. Now Paul did a very, very brave thing. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 11. Because when... 
Paul heard about this, he confronted Peter. I'll read it to you, verse 11 of chapter 2. But when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. So Peter started falling into this trap and Paul, who loved Peter and Peter loved Paul, Paul challenged him and he said, you've got to stop this. And to his credit, Peter did stop it. You know, the church could have died. The whole church that we are part of now, 2,000 years later, could have died then and there. If the church was allowed to slip back into works and law, but at a very pivotal, pivotal point, Paul said, you've got to stop this, Peter. You've got to see that it's grace alone. Repentance coupled with faith. Uh, and that's where salvation comes. So that's the problem that Paul was addressing in this letter to Galatians. The people were drifting back to works and the law. They were bringing themselves back under the Ten Commandments. And I'll address that in a little while, whether the commandments apply to us or not. Um, but also, not only the commandments, was there 611 or 613 rules and regulations that we heard about a couple of weeks ago. And they were bringing themselves under that. So Paul, who had been as law-abiding as you could get, remember there's a place where he says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was I, blameless before the law. Paul, who was as lawful as you can get, got the revelation that it's grace alone, grace working through faith. The law could never be obeyed fully and therefore it could never be satisfied fully. You see, the problem with the law is that we always fall short. We always fall short. Now, we find that driving along a road and you're, next thing you're driving and Ali says, Alf, you're doing 65. I didn't plan to do 65. I just wasn't thinking. Luckily, the police weren't there and, you know, uh, how many times have we all done that? Uh, you creep over the, the law. Wherever the boundary is, human hearts creep over it. If it says you shouldn't lust, we do lust. If it says you shouldn't lie, we do lie. If it says you shouldn't covet, we do covet. We don't want to, but because we're treasure in earthen vessels, we just do. So the law draws a line in the sand and we always transgress. So no matter, no matter how hard we try, we will never fulfill the law of God. Even with the best of goodwill, uh, we can't fulfill these laws. Now I want to tell you a story about my daughter, uh, Liz. Many of you know her. She lives in New York. She's a singer. She's a jazz singer living in New York. And she lives in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It's a pretty nice area. A lot of Jewish people live there. And she, in her daily living, just meets and talks to a lot of Jewish people. And uh, she's talking about Orthodox. I'm talking about Orthodox Jews here. And so these Orthodox Jews bring themselves 
and keep themselves under these laws that have been put in place for them. And they always fall short. I know they fall short because you and I fall short, you know. They're no different from us. So there's these rules and regulations and they, what's the word? They tie themselves. They adhere themselves to these rules and regulations. One of them is about hats. One of them is whenever a man prays, whenever a man prays, he must have a shawl. So sometimes they wear shawls under their coats and jackets. So when they pray during the day, they've got their shawl there. Um, the curly hair. Uh, some of them, there's a thing called a phylactery, where it says, put the scripture, you know, on your forehead, between your eyes. So some of them literally wear a little leather pouch here, uh, strapped to their head and carrying scripture. They've bound themselves to this law. And I've wondered, I've wondered, knowing that I live in grace and you live in grace, how these people go, how these people really feel when they fall short of the law. They're trying so hard, but they fall short. Now, I've got a few... I've got, got to find out how to work this. Yeah, I know. I was going to try and go backwards. Um, oh, come on, I'm pressing the arrow. What's, I want to move. Go, go, go to the bottom if you can. What have I done wrong? Okay. Okay. So that's the sort of guys that my uh, daughter Liz comes across. Go back another one. If you can. See, even the kids have got their hats and their hair. Go back another one. Look at the hats. Ladies, you want to wear hats to church? You'll have to fight these guys for the hats. There's another one with hats. Give me one more, please, Sarah. Backwards again. If you can. No, it won't go? Okay. No? Okay. So... So these Jewish people put themselves under this law and they fall short. I know they fall short because everyone falls short. So how do they, how do they live? Um, Liz told me, I spoke to her in, with this sermon in mind, uh, that the Jews that she comes across uh, on the Sabbath... Now let's go back a step further. Uh, some years ago when Liz was younger, she did some babysitting for a Jewish rabbi who lived across the road, almost across the road from us, across the road and a little bit down. And so on a Saturday, the Sabbath, Liz would babysit. They had a couple of little kids and they're not allowed to lift their kids up on the Sabbath because that's work. It's regarded as work. Um, and so Liz would do the changing and the nappies and the whole deal. Where she lives now... There's a Jewish hospital nearby, and on the Sabbath, all of the doors are automated so that no one has to press a button to open a door. When a lift goes from ground floor to the 10th floor, how do you reckon they handle it? They stop at every floor. It's programmed so that one, two, three, four, you don't have to press the button. It'll just open up for you. They're not allowed to drive on the Sabbath, so they walk to synagogue. They've brought themselves under these laws. Now, 
What Paul's writing... Now, that's an extension of what Paul's writing about. So, Paul writes to them and he says, you've been delivered from the Lord. Now I'm going to read. If you would turn to Galatians 4, and we're going to read from 21. Now, we've all got different versions, but they say basically the same thing. 21 down to 31. So what he's doing now is he's writing to them and he's saying, look, you've got no future being under this law because you're just going to fall short. And he says, Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross, abolished the need to obey that law. Here's how it reads. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And so what he's going to talk about now is Abraham and the son of Abraham, the son of promise, a man called Isaac, and he's going to talk about the son of self-effort, and that's a fellow called Ishmael. And I'll give you a little bit of a history of it. It is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, we're talking 4,000 years ago now. The one by a bondwoman, that is a servant girl, and the other by a free woman, that is his wife. But he who was born of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. I'll tell you what this all means. And he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. And that's an important word in this reading, symbolic. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar, that's the bondwoman, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. What Paul's saying is that those Jews living in Jerusalem are living under the shadow of Mount Sinai and the law that came with it and the demands that came. Whereas he goes on to say, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Let's jump down to verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But he who has been born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Even so, it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Okay, let's do a little bit of history and I'll... I'll do my best. There were two competing sons born to Abraham. Remember, Abraham was very old when he was called. And God said to him, you are going to be a father of many. They're going to be like the grains of sand at the beach. And they're going to be like the stars in the sky. Because of your faith, you're going to have, have progeny. Sand and stars. But nothing happened. Sarah, could, his wife, could not have children. And they would have tried, and they would have tried, and they would have tried. And 
Abraham and Sarah said, well, where is this promise? How strong is this promise that God gave us? And finally, after quite some years, Sarah said, Abraham, if this promise is going to be fulfilled, it isn't going to be fulfilled through me. So she pointed towards her handmaiden, Hagar, and she said, Abraham, go into her and she will bear you a son. So Abraham did that and, of course, out of that union came Ishmael. But Ishmael wasn't the one that God wanted. He wanted Sarah to have a son. And maybe, I don't know exactly, 12, 13, 14 years later, Sarah conceived and she had a son called Isaac. And this is where we get the terminology. One was born of the bondwoman, the handmaiden, and the other was born of the free woman, which is Sarah. So as these boys grew up, there was a bit of trouble as they grew up because when uh, Sarah was feeding Isaac, this 14-year-old, 13-year-old mocked uh, little Isaac and he mocked Sarah and they forced them to leave. But then they came back. But then after a while, as the boys grew, there was conflict between the son of promise and the son of the bondwoman. And finally, um, Abraham said, you've got to go. I'm not going to have this, you've got to go. Now, I've got a few of these. Uh, did you show, what do we got? What do we got? What's going on here? Let's go. Can we go back one? Go back two? Can you do that? Yeah, and one more. Can you, and one more. Uh, that's the law being given on Mount Sinai. Now, you know, that's, that's our favourite Charlton Heston. You know that they were going to do a story, uh, the life story of uh, Charlton Heston. So they contacted Moses and they wanted him to play the part. <laughs> he said, I'm a bit busy. <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> all right let's go let's go to the next next one forward yeah so abraham says to the bondwoman and her son you've got to go next one so they send them out into the desert and the little boy was going to die they ran out of water the little fella ishmael was going to die and so his mother went off to a you know like 100 yards from the boy so that she wouldn't actually see her son die because they were just dehydrated. But an angel of the Lord opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went to the well, she got water, she uh, uh, gave water to her son, revived him, and then they went off to well, Paran and um, from there... He, she found him a wife. He had sons and daughters as well. So the children of Ishmael grew up alongside the children of Isaac. And you know what's happening in the Middle East today? The children of Ishmael are still fighting with the children of Isaac. That's really the root of what's happening in the Middle East. 4,000 years later. All right, so cast out her son because the two could not live together. Now, Paul is saying 
This is symbolic. He said, what happened back then, that not being able to work together, the conflict between the two, he said, that's what's happening at their time. He says, there's, there's a son born of the law, of works, and there's a son born of grace, of promise. And he said, the two are at loggerheads with each other. And Paul's saying that's what's happening in the church at Galatia. One message, one covenant, one stream is a stream of grace and forgiveness and love. And the other stream is a stream of law and works and trying hard to be good enough. And when you put the two in the same room, they just can't have fellowship with one another. So Paul's saying to these Galatians, get rid of it. Don't bring yourself back under the law. Just as an aside, Abraham's lack of faith leads to choices, led to choices which are bad and worse. He had to banish, you know, Hagar and her son. And uh, if we are not careful. We uh, make choices. If we give birth to an Ishmael, if you can understand what I'm saying, uh, we find ourselves in a place where choices are bad and worse. So wait for the promise of God. Wait for it to come. Don't manufacture something like Abraham did. Now, let's move on. Why would the law be attractive? The law and works because these Galatians were heading back there. Why would they be attractive, even seductive? Why would the law and works be attractive? Um, I'll give you three or four reasons. The outward certainty of boundaries. Uh, when you've got law, you've got a law that says don't pick up your kid on a, on a Sabbath. You've got a law that says don't do any work on a Sabbath. You've got a law that says don't drive on the Sabbath. You've got a law that says don't press an elevator button on a Sabbath. So what that does is that it puts boundaries in people's lives. And some people need boundaries. Some uh, Kids need boundaries. But as you get older, uh, you get to use your own judgment about where the boundaries ought to be. So uh, the certainty of boundaries says if I do this, I'll be okay. So these people who are not pressing these buttons say, I reckon I'm pleasing God by not pressing the buttons, the elevator buttons. But you and I know that in our hearts, things happen. Lies come, coveting comes, anger comes. So while it can be said, while it can be said uh, in a praiseworthy way, you're not pressing buttons, they know that deep down inside, there's other things going on. Um, but we'll get to what law we do live under in a minute. Um, why would the law be attractive? It can allow us to swell with pride. I'm better than him because he presses buttons on the Sabbath, but I don't. Or he works on a Sabbath, but I don't. And so people who are under the law... And people who bring themselves under the law 
there can be a tendency to swell up and say, well, at least I don't do what so-and-so does. Third thing that makes the law attractive is that people can say, I saved myself because of my good works. I was supposed to do this, and I was supposed to do this, and I did it. And so, therefore, God must be pleased with me. The trouble is, one failure is enough to mess it up for you. Just one failure. Uh, much less the thousand failures that we exhibit in our life. Now, let me say something that none of us wants to hear. There's a tendency within all of us to drift to works. All of us. And you know, when we have communion Sunday by Sunday, it should remind us that it's not our works, it's the work of Jesus. It's not our good works. And you know, we're commended to do good works. Do good works. Do millions of good works. But don't think that you're going to get to heaven because of your good works. We only get to heaven because of the work of the cross and of the work of Jesus. You know, uh, when we were pastoring at Christie's Beach, every year we used to have a day for the senior citizens and we would send the invites around to uh, the senior citizens clubs in the area and we'd put on a, a show of some sort, you know, uh, and an afternoon tag, you know, something like songs from Oklahoma. And we'd invite them and they'd come and they'd love it and we used to have, you know, 150 people there and we'd cook them uh, afternoon tea, we'd practice the songs for weeks and weeks, and then we would preach to them. And as I can remember, I can remember like it was yesterday, moving around talking to these people who were going to die soon. And we would bring up the subject, you know, about the future, if we could. You know, you couldn't do it every time, but about future and eternity and overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, they said they were going to go to heaven because they'd been good in their lives. Overwhelmingly. And I used to preach just about every one of those and overwhelmingly I would preach about grace and how your works are never going to be good enough. And they sort of thought, you know, you know that, that picture of the scale, you know, good and bad. And if my, the good that I do outweighs the bad, then God will take me into heaven. It doesn't work like that. So you can't save yourself because of your good works. You'll never be good enough. We all need the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even those men we saw up there with the hats. Can you go back to the hat, uh, Sarah? Yeah, those guys. And you can. And I've I had other pictures of more and more hats and more and more curls, uh, but you can't show them all. Uh, what really goes on in their hearts? You know, by trying to obey the law, they're never going to make it. So this is what Paul was saying here in this passage. He said, if you cling to the law, if you cling to what happened at Mount Sinai, if you cling to the law that was given to Moses and, and the other and the other laws that come with it. He said, you're going to fall short. So, if we are not under the law, what are we under? And I say to you, 
I ask you a serious question. Which of the Ten Commandments is null and void? None of them. So, are we allowed to murder? Of course not. Are we encouraged to steal? Of course not. Are we allowed to lie? Of course not. Are we allowed to covet? No. So every one of those Ten Commandments still is valid in our lives. They're still in place. All of them demonstrate to us how far short we fall. And therefore, we need Christ. See, the law has a, has a purpose. It brings us to a place of reaching out to Christ. But once we get to Christ, that law, that ceremonial law, those laws fall away. And we come under a new law. Two laws. One of them is love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And then love your neighbour as you love yourself. Now, if we can do those two things... We will not steal. We will not lie. We will not covet. We will not commit adultery. If we love God with everything within us and love our neighbour as if we love, in the same way that we loved, love ourselves. All of these laws and these rules are good for us because, like a schoolmaster, they teach us about Christ. Have a look at chapter 3 of Galatians 24 and 25. Therefore, the law was our tutor, or schoolmaster, some versions would have. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after, this is 25 now, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. See, we're not judged by the law anymore. We're judged by our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. How should we then live day by day? The answer is not in the 611 or 613 rules and regulations. Although, I'd say overwhelmingly, if not completely, they're good for us. But that's not how we live our lives. That's not how we regulate our lives. We regulate our lives with love God with all of your heart and love your neighbour as you would love yourself. So dwell on his love. Think about his love, his overwhelming love to us. Think about his grace. Now, grace means that the, 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 the meaning of the word is unmerited favour. If I do a week's work and the boss gives me a week's pay, that's not grace. I've earned it and he, he, he owes it to me. But grace is when someone comes just up to you and says, Here's a thousand bucks just because I think you're a great guy. That's grace. 
It's also a miracle. <laughs> I want to be there when he does it. Tell me where he lives, you know. But uh, grace is unmerited favor. And that's what God gives us. Now think about his forgiveness in our lives. For all the stupid stuff we've done, for all the wrong stuff we've done, for all the deceitful things we've done, God forgives us if we repent. Think about his strength in our life. Think about his long-suffering towards us. Think about his mercy and think about his patience. So dwell on loving God with all of your heart. And then the second thing is love your neighbor as you would love yourself. 1 Corinthians says it beautifully, tells what love really is. Love, uh, Christian love, the word agape, is always acting for the higher good of the other person. So if we can always act for the higher good of our spouse, of our brothers and sisters, of our friends, of our neighbours, always acting for the higher good. Now you've got to work out what the higher good is. Sometimes the higher good can be a bit hard. See, you remove the boundaries and then you're in, a, you're, in a, you're in a space where you've got to make some decisions for the higher good of the other person. It says in Corinthians, uh, love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude, love is not self-seeking, it's not puffed up, it bears all things. That means, you know, it puts up with a lot. It believes all things. It, it wants to believe the best of people. It hopes all things. That's how we ought to be living our lives. Not under this, you pressed a button on Saturday. You're going to hell. None of that. So after having laid out the shortcomings of life under the law and uh, under the, the works of the law, Paul said to them, you can't do it. And you don't have to do it. So, what should we do? I'm going to jump in on whoever's preaching next week and just read to you a couple of verses. Uh, chapter 5, have you got it there? So, Paul's laid out his argument in these last four chapters. Now, chapter 5, after he's just said, you'll never do it following the law, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he said, God's delivered you from those things. Don't get caught up in it again. Stand fast in the liberty that Christ has. You know, I was thinking about our church here. We don't, we don't have many rules and regulations here because we love one another we trust one another we don't probably the only rule and regulation is don't touch that chocolate cake before i get there you know <laughs> that's a pretty sensible rule you know um but we where there's love you don't have to have a lot of rules where people are trying to encourage and bless one another you don't have to have a lot of rules and you know our society today because love is being removed and replaced with materialism and nihilism and uh, idolatry, 
government's just passing law after law after law after law to regulate our behaviour. But we don't need many laws. We need two. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbour in the best way that you can. Pretty good laws to me. Um, so five one we just read. Try about 5.16. Chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. So we don't need too many rules and regulations. We don't need any. Just walk in the Spirit and you'll be all right. And also 5 and 23. Um, uh, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So if we apply these things in our lives, you don't have to be worried about the rule book and uh, uh, where, where the boundaries are. Just live according to those. So as we live our lives, we ask, is what I'm doing honouring God? Is what I'm doing, the second question, does this bless my neighbour? And if it doesn't honour God, and it doesn't bless your neighbour, then leave it alone. Some final words. Three things. Um, beware of the drift in our own lives towards works. I've been in the Lord since I was 16 years old. I've been in the Lord a long time. And without boasting... Uh, I've done a lot of good works for the Lord. I'm not saying that to be a smart aleck. You've all done a lot of good works for the Lord. But all of my good works fall short of his grace and mercy and his forgiveness in my life. You know, we could never pray. We should never pray. Lord, lay hands on someone and say, heal our brother. He was a missionary for 25 years. That doesn't have any effect with God whether he was a missionary or a pagan or a heathen or a cannibal for 25 years, God isn't impressed the fact that he's a missionary. It's good that he's a missionary, but God doesn't heal on the basis of his good works. So beware of the drift in our own lives to works. And I say we are reminded, and we should be reminded every Sunday as we take communion, as we look at that cross that it wasn't you or I that did it, it was Jesus. And that should disarm any pride in our own life. The second thought I have is exhibit grace to others. Don't make them slaves to your laws. Exhibit grace just as you've been forgiven, just as I've been forgiven, we need to forgive others as well. They're on a journey they have bad days, they have bad months, they have money troubles, they have kid troubles. Just don't jump on people and eat them up and point finger at them because we've been delivered from that, every one of us. Exhibit grace towards others. And the third, maybe my final point is, don't hurry God. See, Abraham, he was a man of faith, 
the son didn't come. The son didn't come. He had a promise, but the son didn't come. So Sarah said, go into Hagar. She'll give you what I can't give you. So he went and he produced a son who caused trouble then. And 4,000 years later, the sons of those guys are still fighting and causing trouble. It says in, 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 in describing him, he'll be a wild man that no one can tame. That's what's happening over there today. So if God's given you a promise, wait on God. Don't manufacture something because you might manufacture something a bit wrong.